0: Hello and welcome to the initial episode of the Blind Shots podcast. I'm your host David Hill coming to you from the horse capital of the world, Lexington, Kentucky. And this is my golf podcast. This show is a part of the Talk and Golf Network podcast. Where you can find shows like Derek Duncan's Feed the Ball podcast, one of the preeminent resources on golf course architecture. That's Talkin' Golf Network with only one G. You can find the full list of shows at Talkin'Golf.com. This first Blind Shots podcast episode is an opportunity to talk to you briefly about my hopes for the podcast, and I'll wrap up with an interview with my friend Fred May, who... By simply being perhaps the world's most amicable golf buddy, inspired me to take a look at my relationship to this game of golf that we all love and how I want to play it going forward. A bit about me, in addition to being a golfer, I'm a husband, father, realtor, dog walker, expert eater, and novice jogger. I published the blog OneBeardedGolfer.com. That's where you can read my golf columns, essays, rants, and course reviews. You can find me on Twitter at OneBeardedGolfer. That's the number one bearded golfer. You can interact with the show on Twitter directly at BlindShotsPod or on the web at BlindShotsPodcast.com. There you'll be able to download episodes of the show directly onto your favorite pod player device or app. We hope to be up and running on all of the usual podcast feed suspects shortly, like iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, and the like. So stay tuned. What is the Blind Shots podcast and why publish it now when the digital media and content generation spaces for golf, especially podcasts, are so saturated? Because I believe this podcast will fill a space or stories that deserve to be told that aren't part of the existing golf discussions can find a home. I have questions that I want answered by people that know the game better than I do. There are always stories that I wish I knew the backstory of, involving the names of people that the average golfer may not know. There are countless golf courses not found on any best-of list that I think deserve to have a small spotlight shown on them. There are conversations about the golf business that need an avenue to come forward. Uncomfortable, though those discussions may sometimes be. As our nationwide housing supply crunch continues here in the U.S., what will be the fate of urban, suburban, exurban, even some rural golf courses in a market where premium is placed on housing and local leaders focus on more traditional notions of green space? And most importantly, there is the joy and the spirit of the game that I love to play and the stories that it produces. Amateur golf. Competitive golf. Public golf. There are stories to be told and discussions to engage in on those topics beyond the occasional poignant essay or Tom Rinaldi tearjerker. The Fried Egg and the aforementioned Feed the Ball podcasts have pretty well locked down the market on deep dives into golf course architecture. But I think there's still spaces to discuss design and golf course architecture, especially from an amateur player's perspective, as it pertains to strategy, presentation, and overall golf experience. I'm not much of a gearhead or gadget guy when it comes to golf equipment, but there are important equipment stories that haven't been completely talked to death. They go beyond bifurcation of the amateur and professional games or rolling back the speed of the ball. Destination golf continues to be the booming market and we'll try to bring you stories from the road of places that might pique your travel interest. There are plenty of podcasts that cover the PGA Tour and do a really fine job of it. Gambling on golf and daily fantasy sports are all well and good if you're into those kind of things. But they just don't Hold my interest very long. So I'll not be competing with those shows by giving you the 23rd most competent masters preview each April. And maybe that's the point of this podcast that there is so much more to the game and the sport of golf than the high level professional tours. Golf is a niche sport, and if you take a hard look at the state of the game, there are smaller subsets that are thriving because of the work and passion. Of some really good people. My plan is to touch on these types of topics with interesting guests and a unique cast of regular and recurring golf personalities. That's why the show is titled The Blind Shots Podcast. We're taking a swing at converting our experiences and thoughts on golf to good audio without knowing where the conversations are going to land, not knowing what the ep- next episode may be not knowing whether we've hit the mark or rolled off the back of the green. I hope there will be laughs along with useful information found and passed along and the occasional opportunity to make people think. I sincerely hope that you like what you hear here and that you'll subscribe to the podcast feed and share an episode with your friends. If you don't like what you hear here, that's fine too. The thing about this podcast is that it's Basically, pirate radio in the digital age. No fancy production values, no corporate partnerships, just talk about golf, what we love and hate about the game, the sport, and the business. And with that, we'll get to my interview with perhaps the world's most affable golfer. He's a kind and gentle soul, except that you won't find anyone who relishes the hand to hand combat of match play. More than he does. To call our golf trip matches friendly competitions would be like calling a Holyfield Tyson fight a friendly little boxing exhibition. Last fall, he was one of two friends to accompany me on a golf pilgrimage to Scotland. Turned out he was also inadvertently a muse for a bit of introspection, which morphed into a column over on the blog titled Going for It. My Truth Discovered in Scotland. And with that, here's my friend, Fred May. And I'm joined now by Fred May, who is part of our golf trip, uh, both our annual summer golf trip, and was one of my compatriots in the Scotland Adventure. Uh, And really, he was the, I guess, the source for this whole thought process in, in the essay that's up on the blog about the idea of having the, the mindset to go for it. So, hello, Fred. Welcome in.
1: Um, uh, pleasure. Thanks for having me,
0: Dave. Sure. Um, we are about a month out from uh, coming back stateside, and I was sitting in traffic uh, the other day and was reliving our last round in my head at Levin Links, and the... I don't know if you remember that hole much, but it has the the burn in front of the green. Um, And I had a decent lie about 200 yards out and just decided I was going to go for it. Uh, And I think something you said earlier in the trip triggered that. Um, I don't remember if it was the castle course or if we were tallying up scores one night. And you had mentioned that you thought I had the most birdies on the day or would have. And, you know, that's something that just stopped me in my tracks because that's not something I'd ever heard before. So I don't know what you had had to eat and drink that day, but that was, <laughs> that was great. Uh, uh,
1: no, it was, um, it was, I think it was probably the second or third round that we played. So, um, you know, I was just sitting there thinking, um, and it was, it was one of those situations where you look back and you're like, oh, you know what, um, we all had our, we all had our holes that we don't want to talk about. But, um, I thought that it kept ringing in my head that, you know, oh, they, they struggled, you know, two holes ago, but wait a minute, he just, he just rolled that in for a three or what the, what in the world? He just hit two great shots into the wind and just made a, made a four on a, on a pretty hard part five. Um, it kind of, just kind of popped in my head. I was like, man, this guy is, um, is uh, making some uh, making some birdies left and right, and I don't think anyone is noticing it.
0: Well, and that is my mo. I think for sure is um, not necessarily celebratory about them, um, but it it was new this year. It was a new mindset. Um, one of my favorite conversations was at our getaway dinner uh, in Edinburgh before we left talking about how we kind of developed into the golfers that we are now, because my, my whole thing, uh, playing with our mutual friend, John Mark, who is the ultimate swashbuckler on the golf course. (laughs) I mean, mean, he, he has swing speed and machismo that you, you don't find on the golf course a lot. So it's an all or nothing style. So he is as equally likely to make a birdie as he is a double or take a circle eight and just move on to the next. And, you know, going up a, against a big hitter like that, you know, so, and he just absolutely crushes the ball. Um, going up against that regularly, I had taken sort of the opposite position, the, the grinder. Hey, I can make bogey from anywhere and just win more holes than him. So your, your comment, um, really sort of crystallized the thought that that's, that may not be who I am anymore. Um, and you know, we talked about it and that's even come out in your game a little bit, uh, since we started playing together on these golf trips.
1: Absolutely. Um, I've never been, never been a long hitter. Um, never really, never really kind of developed that part of my game. Um, but. You know, you, uh, you kind of focus on other, other abilities if one doesn't come readily available. And, um, you know, I just fell into that kind of, you know, I'm going to hit it in the fairway. I'm going to be able to find it. I'm going to hit it up by the green and I'll get up and down for my part. You know, I don't win a lot of skins and skins games, but you know, I, my game is, you know, I'll, I'll just par you to death, hopefully, you know, and maybe my bad hole is a bogey and your bad hole is a triple. So, um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, when I started playing with you guys, um, everyone, everyone in that group was, was, uh, was flying it by me pretty handily. So, um, that first trip up to, uh, up to the upper part of, uh, Michigan kind of, um, kind of really did a reset for me in, in my golf. Um, so I, I want to, I don't know whether I should thank you or I should curse you for that, but, um. But either way, you know, I think that you're probably part of the reason for it.
0: I understand. And (laughs) the uh, playing in golf leagues and and looking forward to our golf trip each year, uh, it is different. Now, you know, I came to golf later. Uh, I didn't get serious about it until maybe five or six years ago. So this is, uh, I'm not in my infancy, but, uh, you know, I've been playing defensive, sort of conservative golf for quite a while. what about you? Was this something with this, the new mindset and being competitive is, is that how much muscle memory is there?
1: Um, well, that's, um, that's interesting. You know, I kind of came into the game, I, I, I like to say kind of late as well. Um, I didn't start really playing, you know, golf until, you know, I was into, you know, high school, you know, um, and I kind of picked it up uh, probably, you know, early in high school and I ended up playing you know from that point on and um I'm not going to say I picked it up quickly but um that mindset that I had of you know keeping it where I could find it really I think helped me in my in my beginnings right you go out there you lose a lot of golf balls your score gets pretty pretty big pretty quick um so I I think that you know from that starting point um You know, you saying five years, six years ago, you really got competitive. I, I think that I lost a little bit of my competitiveness after school was out and college was out and our lives started. Um, but I have with, with this, with this recent golf trip to Scotland and, and the, and the summer, you know, golf trips with you guys, it's, um, has really rekindled, um, a little bit of my competitiveness and my, my drive. Um, to get better. I, I kind of lost a little bit of that. You
0: know, the, the match play against you that I had uh, this summer was some of the most stressful golf I've ever played and some of the most fun. Um, and I think because we were, we're trading shots like fighters, that's what made it so fun. Um, and forced dunes a little bit on the dune side and more so on the loop. And I wanted to bring this up about Scotland. One of the things that was really magnificent about Scotland is um, you could almost always get out of trouble. There was an opportunity because you, you weren't, unless you were in a gorse bush uh, or in a bunker that you really had to come out sideways, I never felt like anyone was really out of the hole. Um, unless you maybe hit one end of the ocean, but that was pretty rare for us. But yeah. ju- just that, um, okay, if you're in the rough or if you're in another fairway, you know, you've got this wide open expanse that you, you know, just navigate the wind and the the bunkers and the the bumps and you've got a chance to get back into it, which was really something that I think even played in more to that, you know, just go for it attitude, which seems, seems counterintuitive for links golf, where you, you've got a lot more rub of the green and, you know, the odd kick and the having less control over the ball.
1: Oh, I totally agree. Uh I, I on the on the way over there and leading up to that, um, you know, I went into into those rounds of there very defensive. And, you know, uh as you kinda mentioned in your little your little essay there, um, you know, I am I am probably the most risk averse uh golfer that there there may there may be some that are worse than me, but it it would be it would be a it would be a, a dog fight to see who was worse, but Um, you're right. There was opportunity. I felt, uh, about halfway through the trip. I think, you know, I kind of just kind of let it sink in. And I said, if you trust your shot and you trust where your ball is going to go, you could aim it, you know, over there, you know, off of the, the deep rough and the wind is howling. The fairways were big, you know, the fairways were generous you just had to trust yourself and the golf ball. Um, and, uh, to your point, there, there were times that you got into bunkers, um, that, you know, you had to come outside this, right? You, you just had to. There was no stance to, to do anything else. But a lot of times there was a decision, you know, how aggressive do I want to be? You know, what, how far do I want to try to advance this? And more often than not, I took a pitching wedge and I, I got out and I tried to go from there. But I mean, I saw you and I saw Matt both, uh, take take you know aggressive lines out of those bunkers and it paid
0: off. Yeah, the the the, the sand was an entirely different experience in Scotland. Uh, and it varied from course to course. You know, I thought Ely was really nice at presenting a variety in the old course as well. You know some some of those bunkers around the old course are just annoyances. You know, maybe half a shot. You know, you okay you can't get it next to the pin from there. Whereas others are Yeah, you're playing the bank shot off the revetted face, just hoping it doesn't come back, you know, behind you back into the bunker. Um, so it was, it was the perfect place to kind of crystallize that, um, the strategic elements of golf, the putting the decision to the player. Um, and you mentioned the word confidence, trusting your shot. I think that's had a big part of all three of us, you and Matt and I getting better, um, against each other getting better against par generally because I think you know that having those wide open expanses and those big targets really bred confidence uh, even if you didn't have your a game on a given day well Fred and I spent the next several minutes detailing our individual golf histories which I must say in retrospect is only slightly more interesting than having a total stranger recount every shot of his golf round to you shot by shot So we're going to skip ahead in our conversation a few minutes. And, um, we were sitting there after the round and
1: Mark made a comment that, you know, there was five or six people in the room that would be single digit handicaps if we, if we would just get out and play. And I kind of thought about that and I said, you know what? He's probably right. You know, there, there is a lot to be said for just getting out and, and playing. If it's just, a couple holes, you know, there's something to that. And if you don't have it, there is, there is a lot lost, not yeah. just in the swing, but just in the mental part of it, just understanding where you're at and what you can and can't do.
0: Yeah. The atrophy is real. And it's, oh. yeah, it's not just crisp contact. It's yeah. Thinking your way around a course. Um, other you, I, me, I revert back to just, swinging too hard, swinging too fast and, you know, hit it, chase it, hit it again, Yep. Um, which is, which is fine for some purposes, but um, yeah, I, I've been fortunate to, to play in golf leagues semi-regularly, you know, just a dedicated time once or twice uh, a month. Um, your story of having a 12 person golf league, that's fascinating that it's still going um years on after everyone all the original members have have tapped out and things have been replaced that's that's kind of incredible we'll have to that may be a separate podcast episode uh, yep. going forward um but yeah the your comment and then our our conversation on the back end thinking about how the golfers we are the golfers that we were um I'm very curious about the golfers we're going to be in a post Scottish golf trip world. I mean, that was, it was one, it was the most golf we've played in consecutive days. in for me in 10 years, um, playing eight, 18 a day for six straight days and for Matt and I a little bit more sometimes. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, that was a lot of
0: golf. I'm telling you, I mean, but I'll, I'll
1: tell you, I never got up. I never got up one morning dreading, you know, going to play golf there, though. I mean, was I tired? Yes. Was I getting sore? Yes. I mean, I still have, like, parts of my hands where skin is still just, like, you know, sloughing off, where it's – I just rubbed it raw, you know? Um, but I never didn't want to play.
0: Yeah, that's that's the magic of Scotland and of of not overdoing it like we did. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think going in fall, where we're limited by darkness, uh, kind of bracketed into the middle of the day, I think that was a blessing for us, for sure.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Um, but yeah, reminiscing. I, I was thinking back, uh, also part of this essay was that, thinking back, the 18th holes were really fun to play. Um, all of them were, were probably more memorable than they should be, maybe architecturally. You know, some of them weren't spectacular holes, but the the idea of you know the castle course comes to mind. Ely comes to mind. Uh, North Berwick a little, maybe less so. But you know, our matches were pretty well decided by that point. I think on most days, but just being able to uh, you know kind of go for it. I know at Ely the second time around, I had to win that hole outright to to force a a have. Uh, between between Matt and I. Um, so that just made those holes so much fun. Not, you know, the the lure of posting a sub 80 round or setting some kind of personal best had long since gone by the time we got back to the the home hole. Uh, and that was really liberating and freeing. And I don't think I'd ever put thought into that, uh, even on any of our summer golf trips like I did with the Scottish trip. These courses lined up the way they did
1: um and, and I think to that point um m- maybe part of of that um I don't want to say interest but still that that drive, you know, hey I the, the hey, I am gonna go for it right here you know on that 18th hole like you just said was the fact that um if, you know when you go out and play your normal course your, your home course, if you're not playing well if, if you don't if you don't have that score, you know that you're going to be proud about. I I notice a lot of people will pack it in, right? It doesn't mean anything to them anymore, so they they just go up there and, and they just you know put a put a move on the ball and and knock it up there, chip it up and down and get and get out of there, right? You're done. Get to your car. Get home. Um I think some of of what you were talking about there, you know, on those last couple holes and and um, well, like as you said, when we played Ely the first time, the first nine. With the first 18. Uh, didn't you birdie that? Did I did. You birdie that to win? Yeah, you, you birdied that to, to, uh, to take a couple bucks out of my pocket, a couple pounds out of my pocket. Um, and, and I think some of that is that we were enjoying this setting and we were enjoying, Hey, we're in Scotland and it was still interesting, right? We were still making memories. Um, I think around, around your home courses and everything else. If you're playing okay, you're not grinding over that shot like you did, you know, coming up 18. Um, I think that that had a little bit to do with it. You know, we were we were there to play golf. We were there to enjoy, you know, Scotland and enjoy the time that we had. But we were also there to make memories, you know, not just memories of what we saw, but memories on the golf course. And I think that added a little bit to us because... When we played North Barrett, um, you know, we're, there's not many times, as I said, you know, I'm not a long hitter. There's not many times that I'm going to, you know, finish the last five holes, you know, under par. But, you know, um, there um there is that mindset when you're in that kind of setting that you want to make a memo.
0: Yo, that is a brilliant point, and I I guess now the question is: Is that a transferable property? Is that uh, something? Is there something that we can capture from that to uh, and use it in in everyday round? Um, even use it in? I think we would probably do a good job of that in our our guys' golf trip in the summers, um, and maybe that's what this whole thought uh, essay was—is documented in it, getting it down on paper. Having this conversation with you to try to help me, uh, come up with something where that, that feeling, that, that match play feeling is, uh, transferable back across the pond to, you know, Lexington, Kentucky to Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Um, And that will be, okay. Now you're going to send me down an entire new rabbit hole. Thanks, Fred.
1: Well, I, I didn't, that wasn't my intent, but, um, you know, to feed into that, you know, as you said, is there something that we can, you know, transfer over? And I, I think it depends. Um, I want to just go back and make, make one comment. When, when you were saying that, you know, referring to that match play, you know, uh, match that you and I had, um, uh, it, I believe it was Forest Dunes when we were playing head to head. Um, and that was a back and forth slugfest. I mean, I, I can remember. Three of those shots that you know, as they say, you know, you can't assume anything in match play. I assumed I had won three holes, and you just—I mean—knocked one in from the bunker. You you hit the pin on an impossible shot on a bunker, and you made about a thirty-five foot putt on it. Um, Those those type of matches, when there is when there are two guys that are that are close in ability and and love the game. Um, there is a little, little bit of you know, hey, I I I want to play well. I want Dave to play well, you know. if It's me, but I want to beat Dave, right? And and I hope that you you know feel the same way. You're like, hey, I hope Fred plays well, but I hope I kick Fred's teeth in. Um, there's something to that, and I think that goes back to the memories part of it. You know, if I'm just out playing with with nothing, you know, if I'm just out there practicing, right? I if I'm if I'm over where I think I should be the par, you know, I'm not, I'm not grinding, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make sure that I hit a good shot. Um, and I think that that's, I'm not proud of that. I don't think any of us are proud of that, but I think that's the reality.
0: No, that that's absolutely right. You know, the, yet. how many times have I gone out even for a, a nine hole round in the summer, just chasing sundown. And once I'm a couple over, you know, on the first three holes, like, well, OK, this is uh, all of a sudden that the temptation to drop that second ball out of my pocket and take care, you know, take care of uh, making sure this isn't a postable round, whether I'm with somebody, you know, if I'm with somebody that, uh, yeah, that temptation comes really quickly when you're not playing well, um, which is it, it may be, And I think maybe the match play aspect of it has something uh, there's something there. Uh, I think that's a lot more fun. You, you're not necessarily where you have the bad hole and, okay, you toss it away and you, you re-engage. You get to reset every time you get to the tee box, which is nice. Uh, the other thing, which I've been thinking about this because I've, I've heard some discussions on other podcasts and, and seen on Twitter, the, the idea, do we spend too much time when we're engaged in a match like that? I don't feel like I get into such a zone that I start ignoring the surroundings. You know, I, I have sharper, crisper memories of forest dunes, of what it felt like to be there, what the sight lines were. Uh, I think because I was so engaged in the match, you know, the, the beauty of those, of those dunes of our early morning rounds and our, our afternoon rounds when you kind of get that golden hour of sunlight. Um, I thought we did a nice balance of playing golf with our head up and with our head down, um, which was really important to me in Scotland. Uh, because, you know, that scenery at places like Ely, North Berwick, and even Carnoustie a little bit, uh, just seeing famous holes, you know, you didn't want to miss it for trying to grind out a number. Um, so I don't know if you feel the same on that, but that's something I've heard discussion of a lot that I hadn't ever really paid attention to, um, that I do now for sure. No,
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um. I can remember almost every one of those shots, you know, coming down that. I remember the, the feeling of, of you know, what it felt like that morning in spitting rain and then the rain rain leaving in a couple holes in and the sun comes out, you know. Um, no, I think there's something to be said for that. It's a good point.
0: All right. Well, I've been speaking with Fred May, uh, who is in the, the Columbus area. And he is a, an integral member of both golf trips that that I'm involved in, uh, both our annual deal and uh, the trip to Scotland. So, Fred, thank you for the, the time, for being so gracious and coming on and chatting with us. Uh,
1: hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me very much.
0: There might not be a more gentlemanly golfer than Fred May. Hey, thanks for stopping by our initial episode of the Blind Shots podcast. Again, the essay Fred and I were referring to in this episode is titled Going For It, My Truth Discovered in Scotland. You can check it out at onebeardedgolfer.com. It's still on the front page of the website. The piece is a bit of a stream of consciousness monologue interspersed with reflections on some of what made Scottish golf so much fun. And speaking of Scotland, if you enjoyed today's podcast, stop by next time to hear just how crazy it is to find out that you can apply for a tea time at the old course in St. Andrews for free and then how life-changing it can be when you find out you've actually won the opportunity for you and three of your friends to play the old course together. It's a discussion with author Graylin Loomis next time on the Blind Shots Podcast. Until then, do choose to go for it and take dead aim.